Hello, and welcome back to What the Flame Whispers. This is your host, Cheskino. On this podcast, I share short works of speculative fiction, any piece of writing that uses fantasy, horror, or science fiction to explore human psychology. Today, for the first time, I am pleased to feature the work of another author. Casey's Prism, written by Novella Serena, first appeared in the anthology Love and Darker Passions, published by Double Dragon Publishing. I chose this story for December because, while it's not set during any particular holiday, it's a beautiful reflection on selflessness and giving, which is perfect for the season. Please enjoy. Casey's Prism Written by Novella Serena Narrated by Cheskino Why couldn't life be as orderly and plainly understandable as the blank wall he faced? Then again, as the shadows on the wall deepened and shifted, nothing was really what it seemed anymore. Coco shifted his weight off his left ankle, as it had fallen asleep. Soon his kneeling put his other leg to sleep as well. The little boy dropped back and stretched his legs out in front of him. He stared at the now dark gray wall, wishing he could forever fade into the shadows. At times like this, nothing bothered him. He was thoughtful and happy, and nothing could break his sense of peace. The light reaching the hall from the windows grew weaker as the sun tucked itself behind clouds, undressing and preparing to snuggle under the horizon for a good night's sleep. The light dimmed from white to gray to a moment's soft gold as a ray broke through the blanketed sky. Shadows stretched. The wall's canvas lost its brilliant palette. As gray bled into softly darkening blue, Coco heard a key in the lock of the front door. Moments later, his sister's smile shone from around the hallway's bend. She was surprised to see him sitting in the dark hallway, but recovered her cheerful presence. Hey there, sweetie. Coco thought about the fact that his sister never allowed herself to look sad or worried when she thought he was around. But there were times, bare moments, when he'd catch her. Coco knew that there was plenty to worry about. Beatrice managed to juggle four part-time jobs, go to school, pay for and keep up their home, where Coco had been born, and still make her brother feel like the center of her universe. Beatrice had to cut corners to pay for their modest flat. The refrigerator was nearly bare, as were the cupboards, but they were stocked with the little boy's favorite foods. She would probably stop going to school soon. She would have more pennies, and more time to work. Now what are you doing in the dark? Don't you want to stop for some ice cream? You didn't forget about our walk, did you? She stuck out her lip as she smiled, and walked over to him kneeling to squeeze him in a bear hug. I'm sorry, he answered softly. I was watching the shadows on the wall and forgot myself. Well, there's no more light now. How about a little dinner? That would be nice. Good, Beatrice said, almost triumphantly. Why don't you help me choose? She turned on the hall light. Creamy white glinted off of her black hair as she disappeared back around the corner. Coco squinted after his sister. He heard the gentle clank of dishes pulled out of the kitchen cupboard. He pulled himself to his feet, 
He'd been so long on the floor that his legs were unsure under his sudden height and weight. He flicked the light switch off, plunging the hallway into rich blue shadow. Coco hurried to join his sister. She pulled out a box of instant macaroni and cheese in fun shapes, his current favorite thing to eat. In the few minutes before the water boiled for the macaroni, Beatrice pulled fresh fruit she'd just bought from her backpack to wash. Beatrice sought to keep her brother on as healthy a diet as she could, and wanted to give him as much life as she could. Every other evening, she brought home a new type of fruit or vegetable, and a story to go with it. Tonight, they would share pears. After adding the macaroni to the boiling water, Beatrice explained to her brother the origins of pears, and their many uses. Coco, thrilled to see this oddly shaped treasure, watched astutely as his sister washed the fruit and put it in a small bowl. Coco, will you please set the table? Yes. Coco drew reluctantly away from the dripping fruit bowl. Gathering two forks and two napkins from a low drawer his sister had prepared for him so he could help with housework, Coco went to set their little dining table. He returned for the glasses, his newest prizes, two collectible jelly jars decorated with cartoon characters. Coco seated himself. Beatrice entered, deftly balancing their dinners and the bowl of fruit in her arms. Coco watched his sister. One piece of fruit tumbled out and rolled in a circle. He smiled. It wanted him. May I have this one? Beatrice looked at her brother. I should at least wash it again, okay, honey? And I'll give you a little plate for it so it won't get dirty, all right? Coco brightened when his sister placed it, gleaming and wet, next to his macaroni. Beatrice sat across from her brother and took his hands. Coco recited a child's poem that he'd learned that day. His neighbor, Mrs. Reese, told him she used to recite it as a blessing over dinner as a girl. Coco ate slowly. The first time he found a shape, he would place it gently on the rim of his bowl. A parade of cheesy cartoon characters eventually graced the edge of his bowl. The line of pasta characters watched Coco spoon various scenes out of his dinner. Here was a chase scene. Now they're at the fair. Look, they're all asleep. Uh-oh, this one doesn't have a head. And that one is stuck to another one. Here, nibbling off one's head and the other's tail, a new cartoon character in the gooey orange audience on Coco's bowl. Beatrice watched her brother play. When Coco's bowl was empty, save for a few orange streaks stuck to the side, Beatrice reached across the table, sliced the pear, and arranged the perfect juicy wedges on his saucer. Coco sucked the juice from the pear until it lost its gleam. He furrowed his brow and stuck the fruit into his mouth. He played with the small, dark seas on his saucer. Beatrice's eyes didn't leave her brother. You like it? Coco nodded. Eyes bright, mouth dripping. May I have another? Another? What about ice cream? Coco's eyes widened. You didn't forget, did you? Coco shook his head furiously. Coco had forgotten. She could have let their outing slide and saved a few pennies, but she was not going back on a promise. I'm ready! Coco furiously wiped his mouth with his napkin and swallowed the last of his juice with the tablets arranged by his glass. Beatrice tussled her brother's hair from across the table. She stood up. 
It's been raining. There are lots of puddles to jump in. Coco smiled. Coco knew that as the problems surrounding him and his sister grew, Beatrice acted happier and more carefree around him. Why were they going to get ice cream? Where were they going to get that ice cream? What was the special event this time? Was there ever any special reason? Coco slid off of his chair and made his way to his room, running his hand along the wall. He slept in what used to be his parents' room. It was wide with a high ceiling, and even had its own bathroom. The bedroom was painted a very pale blue, and the trimming was white. Their parents' belongings were stashed in another room. So were all the photo albums. Beatrice had bought a bedroom set for Coco a few years ago, when he'd become too old to continue sleeping with her. The twin beds sat under the largest bedroom window. Sunlight poured onto Coco's patterned blue and white sheets. A shiny white baby monitor hung on the right side of the headboard. Coco walked into the closet. His eyes skimmed over worn sneakers. Then his eyes fell on the new leather shoes his sister had bought. Coco grabbed his little Italian shoes and ran down the hall with his coat to his sister. Beatrice opened her mouth to order him to change shoes, but he looked so happy in them, and his face fell so mightily as he watched her, that she held her tongue. She helped him into his jacket and, laughing, they left for the ice cream parlor. The two made their way to the neighborhood cafe. It sold milk and small groceries, had a bar, and was a small child's heaven with old-fashioned barrels of candy and what the neighborhood children thought of as the world's best ice cream menu. Coco got a glass of soda water, mixed with a large helping of sugared syrup. So, asked Beatrice as she and Coco sat in a booth, what adventures did you have today? Coco held the cool mint liquid in his mouth a moment. Well, after you left, I walked to the park. Do you know that nice old lady? He paused his story while he finished the soda. We talked a while, then she bought me a bag of popcorn. We sat together and fed the birds at the park. She had a lot of fun stories about when she was little. Coco greatly admired Mrs. Reese, and seemed to have more fun basking in her childhood memories than he did living through his own. But then she didn't feel well, and I walked her home. After that, I came home. Coco folded his thin hands and looked expectantly from his sister to the menu over the ice cream counter. Beatrice slid off of her bench and walked up to the ice cream counter. She turned back to Coco. Okay, then. What do you want? Do you want a sundae? Coco nodded. Beatrice ordered a large banana split with the works for her brother and a small chocolate and vanilla scoop ice cream cone for herself. Hedion sat at his table and looked out the window. He paid no heed to the scattered pile of papers in front of him, white and wide as the aftermath of a blizzard. As a matter of fact, he had no need of the papers any more. The sight and weight of them sickened him. He'd burn them. If he got rid of the manuscript that plagued him, he might find that his mind was once again free to brainstorm. From his apartment window, Hedion could see the narrow gray street below. The overcast sky seemed to match the bland buildings. There was a dark alley nearby which had, strangely, been holding his attention for a while. It was impossible to see very far into it. He doubted that anything worth writing about lay hidden within those shadows. 
Maybe a few gangbangers, an old hobo, or some adolescent runaway. Not that people's lives had any impact on Hedion. In his mind, kids and gangs were self-righteous little punks, a strange cross between a peacock and a bristling cat. And if some soldier came back from some war and couldn't maintain a job, well, it wasn't Hedion's fault. He could care less about the self-pitying children who hid in the shadows. Hedion ran a hand through his auburn waves, leaned his head on the glass, and stared at the alley. Coco and Beatrice screamed as they splashed down the street, spraying water everywhere. The few scattered rays of sunlight against the cracked tar of the road and cement of the sidewalks made the street sparkle. The best splashes brightened the street with shimmering droplets. As they passed a dark alleyway, Coco stopped. He stared in. Beatrice took his hand. What is it, Coco? Did you hear something? Coco pointed. Beatrice looked over his shoulder. What was it? He yanked free and disappeared. Coco! Beatrice ran after him. She hit something and stopped before moving again in the inky silence. Beatrice made her way through the shadows, with her hands in front of her. Coco was, to her horror, kneeling next to a body. Coco held the person's bloody hand and stared intently into the face. Dark hair, matted with blood, hung over the eyes. Beatrice reached for her brother. Now, she rasped. Coco, let's just go. Coco murmured. Please. Beatrice had never heard so much yearning in Coco's voice before. She paused, at a loss. The person's head lifted. The dark eyes focused on hers. In the shadows, time seemed to stand still. Beatrice joined her brother at the form's other side. Slowly, Beatrice pulled the limp body away from its sitting position against the wall. We should call the police. A quick look of fright crossed the person's bloody features. Beatrice looked away from the red-glazed face to her brother's. Okay, let's hurry. We don't want it to get dark or something. You need to help me, Coco. When the three came out of the alley, Coco and Beatrice supported the sagging figure between them. Where do we go? Beatrice asked herself aloud. She looked up at the apartment complex in front of them. In one of the higher windows, she saw a man's shocked face. He signaled that he would come down. Then he disappeared. I'm tired, said Edian. I just feel tired. He leaned back against his headboard. Casey looked at him from the window. Why? I don't know. I just feel tired. Like an old man or something. You're hardly old. I know. And you really don't do anything to make yourself tired. Hedion lazily shot Casey a glare. I didn't say I've been pushed so hard or so far that I'm worn out. I said I feel tired. I just can't even try in the first place. What's holding you back? Hedion shifted on the bed. Casey's dark eyes bored into him, unblinking. Hedion couldn't look at Casey. He looked at his own knees. What is it, Hedion? What was it? Why could he never say the words on the tip of his tongue? Why couldn't he reach out when he needed to? Why? Why do you always stop short? 
There would be no hiding anything from Casey. I'm scared. Why? I don't want to lose it. Casey sat still. So still. Hedion looked up. Those dark pools gazed at him. So dark. So deep. So comforting. Some things you lose. I... I know, but... Some things you never lose. Casey. Hedion turned his full body to Casey. I haven't had many things I can count on. It's safer just not to risk it. He felt himself bristle. Don't be stupid. Risk what? Casey's brow lifted a bit. You're not gearing up for a fight. Hedion stared past Casey, addressing the dreary buildings through the window. He wanted to open up. Just once. Of all people, Casey had to be worth the pain. When I finally trust something, I lose it. You won't destroy everything just because you care about it, Hedion. Well, that's what I do. That's what you think you did, Hedion. That's not what happened. Casey had responded to the memory Hedion could not voice. I felt so safe, Casey. You were, Hedion. I didn't know him. That's okay. I didn't thank him. I think he knew. The dull buildings appeared to glimmer like the snow and trees from that distant vignette. It had been so fun, and so cold, so very cold. A day of exploring, sledding, and feeling on top of the world. Snow covered his young world as far as he could see. The frigid air chilled Hedion's adrenaline. It wasn't fun anymore. It was late. Where was home? Hedion had gone too far. He did not know where his house was or where his parents were. When was the last time he'd seen them? Did they know where he was? He had gone out with their permission, hadn't he? It was going to be dark soon. Hedion could feel it. The snow and the cloudy sky met and bled into one another, the same shimmering gray from one to the next. Winters were like this. Darkness was never gradual. Hedion knew night would fall suddenly. But what time was it? Hedion walked. Eventually, silver birch branches reached out to him. Trees. Shelter. Maybe home would be past these. Hedion walked through the frozen grove. Each step grew heavier. His fingers were stiff. Cold had already become a freezing burn. Stupid gloves. Stupid coat. Stupid boots. Weren't they supposed to keep a kid warm? Almost as if he'd wished it into being. Under a thick tree trunk lay a pile of colorful clothes. Winter coats. Scarves. Sweaters. Socks and trousers. In warm oranges, bright yellows, rich reds, and toasty browns beckoned. Hedion approached the pile, unsure what he would do when he reached it. The pile moved. A pit of fear froze Hedion's belly as much as his frostbitten hands. A weathered face, straggly gray birch beard first, rose from the clothes. The mouth above the beard smiled. Was Hedion cold? it asked. Hedion could not answer. Don't worry, it soothed. Just lie down. Warm up. Get some sleep. The old man crawled out of the pile, and Hedion crawled in. The warmth was delicious. Had he ever felt so safe? Had he ever felt so loved? 
The man, seemingly nothing more than a dark, stooped, wrinkled winter outfit with a tree-like face, smiled down at Hedion until Hedion's eyes, finally thawed, closed. He slept. Hedion was jarred awake from the hot chocolate dreams in which he floated. Men surrounded him. Big men in navy blue and black. No faces. Goggles and scarves. It's okay, son, they said. We found you. You're safe. It's all right now. But, of course he was all right. The big men, dark like the night that was falling behind them, pulled Hedion out of his textile sanctuary. He craned his neck. Where was the old man? What was happening? Hedion finally saw his savior. The frozen sentinel sat stiffly next to Hedion's nest. One of the midnight men covered the corpse with a ratty brown blanket. You didn't kill him, you know. Casey's voice caressed Hedion, embracing and comforting him. But he saved you, Hedion, but you didn't punish him. Unwanted tears burned Hedion's eyes, and he willed them not to fall. He clenched and unclenched his hands. You don't need to hate everything that reminds you of him. The runaways, the soldiers, the lost, the homeless. Accept his gift. Make something of it. If it hurts, make all that worth it. Can I hold you? Hedion's voice was small. No tears had fallen, and now Hedion's eyes felt inflamed from the effort to hold them in. Casey climbed onto the bed, sitting next to Hedion. Hedion wrapped Casey in his arms, burying the tears that now flowed into Casey's midnight hair. Coco! Coco roused himself from his afternoon nap. His sister's voice. Coco, sweetie! Had he forgotten something? Beatrice pranced into Coco's bedroom and dropped onto his bed. Guess what? Coco rubbed his eyes sleepily and blinked at her. We're going out. Now where are your shoes? Beatrice slid to the floor and stuck her head and an arm under the bed. She found one shoe and pulled it out. Hetty and invited us to go see a movie and hang out at the mall. Doesn't that sound fun? She found Coco's other shoe peeking out of his coat pocket. She stopped by his dresser and pulled out a fresh pair of socks. Returning to the bedside, Beatrice took Coco's feet, rubbed them, and put his socks on them. You, me, Hedion. Beatrice smoothed the socks out on his ankles and slipped the shoes over them. She buckled the strap of the little Italian leather shoes Coco had worn the day they'd found Casey, and the only shoes he'd worn since. And Casey. When are they coming? Coco asked. Hedion just called. He said he and Casey thought it was time we all got some fresh air. Coco's usually solemn face lit up with a smile at her words, and remained like that. The smoothness of the trip to the mall got interrupted when Beatrice and Hedion got into a friendly argument about an outfit Beatrice wanted for Casey. The two often spent hours dressing Casey, or buying Casey a wardrobe, or otherwise trying to claim Coco's friend. As they debated, Casey guided Coco to an ice cream shop a little further down the mall hallway and bought him an ice cream and a bag of candy. 
The two swapped jokes and took turns licking the running ice cream as they made their way back to the clothing store. Coco sat next to one of the mall's fountains, as Casey quietly reminded Beatrice and Hedion that the day was meant for Coco. He smiled. This was almost like a family. It was a family for him. Hedion was like his father, his sister often like his mother, and Casey... Casey was... The family dog, Casey offered, joining Coco and letting him for a piggyback ride. Not really. The group made its way to the mall's large movie theater. No movies especially for children were playing at the time, so they picked a reasonably safe family film. The four were the first into the theater, and found the perfect seats, guided by Coco's little pointing finger. Forty minutes later, Coco took the time to look at his companions. He wasn't interested in the romantic stuff on the screen anyway. He sat on Casey's lap. He knew that both Hedion and his sister were jealous of him, but being far older than he could not make a show of it. They both tried to get the attention they wanted when they were alone with Casey. They had no idea Coco knew. As always, Casey ignored their advances and focused all affections on Coco. How, Coco wondered, could his sister be so grown up and responsible, yet be so confused sometimes? Casey was the least confusing person he knew. Now Beatrice slumped so that she all but put her head on Casey's shoulder. On Casey's other side, Hedion did the same but with a more masculine approach. How silly, thought Coco. He looked up at Casey's chin. He felt Casey's legs bounce under him. Casey politely continued to watch the screen, allowing Coco the comfort to do as he felt. Coco liked his friend's eyes. If you took the time to look in them, you could see existence. They looked black, but they swam with color as if universes shone behind them. Could he look into them now? Go ahead, mouthed Casey inconspicuously. Coco climbed onto his knees and took Casey's face in his bony little hands. After fifteen minutes of intense gazing, Coco slept, curled on Casey's lap, through the rest of the movie. Hedion watched the little boy. He thought about the manuscript he'd planned to destroy. The movie had taken a turn for the romantic, not what he needed on his mind at this time. Time with Casey was the most fantastic and the most aggravatingly confusing time of his life. And when he was with the little boy and his sister, things only got weirder. Hedion wondered what the girl was doing now, but decided against leaning forward to look over at her, as it might aggravate Casey further. The burning shame was still fresh from weeks ago when, spending the night at his apartment, Casey had berated him for his possessiveness. Why did he have to force more? Couldn't he be satisfied with what he had? No, not in his mind. Or was it his heart? Casey had rejected, to put it lightly, Hedion and his intentions. You are not my concern at this time, nor are you my desire, Casey had nearly shouted. Can't you just stop right now? Look at what's in front of you. That meant Beatrice and her brother. Casey gave the impression of only being a temporary member of society. Focus on the family Hedion was now a part of. Focus on the little boy. Focus on the girl. But she wasn't Casey. She wasn't this passion or mystery. She couldn't touch his soul or move his heart like this. As much as Hedion liked Beatrice, she, compared to Casey, 
was only human. Casey and Coco sat in Mrs. Reese's bedroom. She'd taken ill again and was confined to bed. In memory of her visits to his sickbed the year before, and their days spent sitting in the local park feeding the birds as she told stories of her childhood, Coco demanded to be allowed to visit her at her house, when her nurse permitted. Bringing someone older ensured longer visits. Hedion was usually very nice about coming. The interest he took in Mrs. Reese's stories she found enthralling. She was the inspiration for his new book. She made him want to write again. Hours could be spent recording the stories, and laughing together over lemonade made from concentrate, since Mrs. Reese was not fit enough to bake her famous cookies that had carried Coco through bed rest. Beatrice never had time to bring Coco to Mrs. Reese's for a visit. When Hedion first found out about the sibling's financial status, he hired himself out to help Beatrice pay bills and rent until his book was finished and he could send her some of its revenue. So now, Hedion was often unable to accompany Coco unless Mrs. Reese felt well enough to tell more stories. And if he did force time into his schedule to come with Coco, he was often grumpy for a while after. Since it usually seemed to them all that Casey existed to take care of Coco, Casey changed the day's schedule so as to be able to take Coco on visits to Mrs. Reese as well as to the little boy's doctor. Mrs. Reese liked Casey's company. Casey was quiet and unobtrusive, and sat for hours holding Coco as she told the boy stories. Or Casey went about the house relieving the nurse of a few of her chores and giving her more time to focus on Mrs. Reese. Coco noticed that the nurse enjoyed it when Casey came over as well. Hedion was not as interesting as Casey and could not have bothered to pay any special attention to the nurse, but Casey, leaving Coco and Mrs. Reese to spend private time together, joined the nurse on most of her breaks. After realizing that visits could go nearly all day when the nurse got this much attention, Casey often joined her on her cigarette breaks, never sitting downwind, and allowing her to flirt. On this particular day, Mrs. Reese became worn out during the visit, and was soon very sick. The nurse was back at the hospital at this time, working with Mrs. Reese's doctor. Casey comforted Coco, who was quite distraught, and put him to bed in the guest room for a midday nap, before returning alone to Mrs. Reese's room. Mrs. Reese labored to breathe. Her face had become a mass of pained wrinkles. She moaned half asleep. Every time she shifted to ease her discomfort, her oxygen line would slip from her nostrils. Casey pulled it from her face and took her hand. Casey reached out and stroked the lines from her face. Slowly, Mrs. Reese relaxed. Her haggard breathing softened and her struggling pulse strengthened. Every pain Casey caressed manifested itself in Casey. Mrs. Reese's gnarled grasp on Casey's hand untwisted. Casey's right arm strained. Mrs. Reese's countenance grew soft, bringing back the face of the girl whose adventures she'd so often related to Coco. She slept. Casey kissed Mrs. Reese's forehead and moved to the nurse's nearby armchair, right arm twisted in on itself, cradled it, and slept. Coco was in the hospital more often than he was out. Beatrice spent her nights in his room, curled up in a chair by the bed. She had already quit two of her jobs. She risked being fired from a third. Though she showed up right on schedule, Beatrice was not really there. 
her employers noticed. School had not suffered yet, but that was thanks to Beatrice's intelligence, not her effort. Hedion's book was done. His publisher had it. The advance on the book was in the mail. As one may expect, bills had arrived already. But at least, the check was on its way. Hedion's reliable work ethic paid off. Though the labor jobs he found to help Beatrice were scattered and not definite, he always showed up and did what was expected. Hedion was offered and accepted a single secure position with a large enough salary to modestly cover the needs of two households, his and Beatrice and Coco's. With regular work hours, Hedion was able to take shifts watching Coco at the hospital and keeping the boy company before his procedures. Hedion would send Beatrice away with a kiss on the forehead. After work or classes, she would make her way home, often curling up fully dressed on her bed and going to sleep. Since she did not always remember to eat when she was finally home, Casey made a habit of preparing dinner ahead of time, sometimes waiting outside of Beatrice's job or school to escort her home. Dinner was quiet. Casey ate slowly, only taking bites when Beatrice did. Guiltily, Beatrice ate everything. I'll clean up. Just get ready for bed. While Casey cleared the dishes and went into the kitchen to wash them, Beatrice walked to the bathroom. She shut the door and turned the small lock in the knob. The bathroom was small and dim, the antique paint and dusky porcelain too dark for the limited space. Beatrice pulled a clean towel from under the sink, along with a half-empty bottle of body wash and a disposable razor. She plugged the tub drain and turned on the hot water. As it filled, Beatrice undressed and stood, staring blankly at herself in the mirror. The skin around her eyes looked bruised from her lack of sleep. The corners of her mouth had turned downward when Coco was rushed to the emergency room this last time. Aside from the loving smiles she gave her brother, Beatrice's mouth refused to smile. She didn't frown. Beatrice just could not smile. Beatrice, I'm going to bring some stuff to Hedion and Coco. I'll be back soon, Casey called through the door. The bottom of the tub was full. Beatrice stepped in and stretched out as far as the short tub allowed. Her knees stuck up. The water rose around Beatrice. She looked past her knees at the thundering water. Her knees looked back at her, like alligator eyes in a river. With one foot, Beatrice turned off the faucet. She settled back and watched the steam dissipate. Beatrice stirred in the tepid bath. She had not slept. She'd lost track of how long she'd been in there. She took the razor and pulled it across one leg. The blades cut the goosebumps on her skin. Beatrice cried out in surprise and frustration. She looked at the blood build and trickle into the water and held the razor up to the light. Translucent pieces of her skin stuck between the blades. Her gaze flowed from the cheap razor to her hand, her arm, then down to the water. Almost as if it had a mind of its own, the razor dragged along Beatrice's wrist. She watched her wrist as she scraped the blades up and down the inside of first one arm, then the other. Her wrists felt raw, as if she'd just fallen on asphalt. But they didn't look bad. 
The blood took a few moments to find its way to the newly exposed surface of her skin. When the blood finally welled and flowed, so too did the tears. Beatrice sobbed, dropping both arms into the water, letting blood and tears fall. I'm back! Casey walked through the apartment and put two bags of groceries down in the kitchen. Hedion is planning on making dinner tomorrow. Casey swiftly pulled items out of each bag and put them away. Beatrice, are you done? Casey walked to the bathroom door. Beatrice? Knocked. Once. Twice. Beatrice? Casey tried the door. Oh no. Locked. Beatrice! Body slammed against it. Eventually, the door could no longer take Casey's running against it. With the snap of the latch, it moaned open and sent Casey skidding through. Beatrice lay in the water, still. No, not now. Casey hesitantly put fingertips to Beatrice's throat. The faintest of pulses. The water was cool and red. Casey reached into the opaque liquid and lifted Beatrice's left arm. The length of the delicate flesh, from wrist to elbow, was raw with geometric scrapes. Casey felt around again and found the skin-clogged, disposable razor. Sliding Beatrice's other arm over the side of the tub, Casey firmly grasped both of her wrists and squeezed them, breathing heavily more from suppressed rage than exertion. Casey stroked the sliced skin, and it responded to the touch by following the caress and closing malleable as sculptor's clay. The pallor left Beatrice's face, and her cheeks flushed. She began to shiver. Casey stooped and lifted her out of the water. Casey lifted Beatrice's limp body over the cold floor, wrapped her in her towel, and took her to her bed. When Beatrice awoke, she found herself in her mother's old nightgown and a thick sweater, bundled in warm towels and blankets. She lifted her hand to rub her eyes and saw that her arms were wrapped with gauze and elastic. That was stupid. Casey leaned on the dresser across from the foot of Beatrice's bed, arms crossed. Casey's eyes burned. Those deep eyes had consumed the light that usually played in them, and the blackest pits glared back accusingly. Why pick the time your brother needs you the most? Beatrice stared at Casey. Do you expect me to sympathize with you? Beatrice's eyes filled with fresh tears. I do. But don't expect that to override how stupid that was. Beatrice tried to blink the tears back, but instead they slid down her cheeks. How does that make anything better, Beatrice? How? Beatrice tried to sit up, but was too groggy. Answer me. Beatrice attempted to roll onto her side. She didn't feel like listening. Or answering. Before she could realize what was happening, Casey was above her, hands on her wrapped wrists, pressed into the mattress, pinning her on her back. We are going to talk about this. Beatrice turned her head. Casey wouldn't let her and grabbed her face with one hand, holding her wrists above her head with the other. You are going to listen. Casey's torso pressed Beatrice's into the bed. Beatrice could feel her left hip digging into Casey's abdomen. Do you realize how many people don't have a choice? She could feel Casey breathe, feel Casey's heartbeat. Coco needs you. She was never this close to Casey.
Hedian needs you too. This was not quite how she had intended to get this close to Casey. You hurt. It hurts so much. But doing this won't make your brother better, Beatrice. And when he goes, don't try to ignore me, Beatrice. When he goes, it won't bring him back. Your love, Beatrice, and the knowledge that you're here keeps him alive. Beatrice blinked. Casey let go of her jaw and leaned against her cheek, speaking softly in her ear. And knowing you're still going to be here is what's making him brave. Casey released her wrists and took her hands. Don't take away the one thing that will prepare him for a peaceful death. But I don't want him to die. Casey stroked the palms of Beatrice's hands. Sometimes you can't change things. Beatrice sobbed loudly. But you can change the way they happen. She buried her face in Casey's neck. Coco needs you, Beatrice. He will always need you. He needs you to be okay. He needs you to live the life you two have been working toward. Beatrice. Casey rolled off of Beatrice and wrapped her in an all-encompassing hug. You've changed Hedian's life, too. They rocked. For the better, Beatrice. You've done something amazing for both of them. Casey wiped Beatrice's cheeks. And you have more to do. Look at me, Beatrice. Beatrice looked into Casey's eyes. The fury had subsided. The black holes were again pools. You have to grow up and grow old for your brother. You might have a beautiful baby and name it after him. You have to do the things and see the places he's always wanted to go. You have to finish school and eat lots of ice cream and macaroni for Coco. Beatrice sputtered a laugh. You know, I was on my way back with some news. Your boys got you a new job. Just one job this time. What? Remember little Coco's friend? That nice lady he used to visit? Yes. Mrs. Reese needs a caretaker. You'd spend time with her that her nurse just can't spend. Casey ran gentle fingers through Beatrice's hair. I understand what you feel. I know that it feels like there's no point. But there is, Beatrice. Coco is so proud of himself. Hedian worked out the details with Mrs. Reese, and she has already told the nurse she will have no one else. Coco feels like he got you the job of his dreams. Beatrice laughed. He loves Mrs. Reese, and you should see how happy it makes him to know you'll be with her. All his favorite people together. But I... The job's easy to train for. Hedian has spent the better part of tonight working out the details. The job is yours. It's stable. It pays well. Just one job. You'll have time for school, and, most of all, plenty of time to spend with Coco. I... Shh. Go to sleep now. Sleep, Beatrice. Coco loves you. Live your life so he knows you know it, too. Coco lay in his hospital bed. He drifted between fitful sleep and drowsy lucidity. Since they could not bring him home, Beatrice and Hedin had brought, with the hospital's permission, Coco's curtains and blankets and toys to decorate the room. 
Other than the large machines, the wires and tubes, the people just outside the door, the room felt like Coco's own. A gentle wind came through the screened window and blew lightly against the curtains. The blue and white squares waved like flowers in the breeze. The sun shone through them. Casey entered the room and sat on the edge of the bed, watching. Coco slept on. When he finally woke, Casey smiled. Hi there. Hi, Coco mouthed. The world was wonderful. His sister was happy again. Mrs. Reese was well. Now Casey was here. All was right and well. It's good to see you. Coco smiled. He said nothing in reply. He could not. His voice had left him a week before as his illness strengthened and his treatments intensified. Look what I have, said Casey. Casey's hands clasped over the bed in front of Coco and opened slowly. Suspended between Casey's fingers twinkled a prism. It caught the light and reflections of their smiles. Casey's hands clasped again. Another prism flashed in the sunlight. Again and again, Casey's hands closed and opened over the bed until a web of glittering light surrounded the frail child. Coco pushed himself upright on his bony arms. The prisms sparkled, as did the boy's joyous expression, and wrapped him in light. He looked ready to soar. Casey grinned at Coco and made the light dance. Coco closed his eyes. The empty cocoon of a boy lay back, a peaceful smile upon his cooling lips. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the Flame Whispers. Special thanks to Novella Serena, Deron Douglas, and Double Dragon Publishing for sharing this story with the podcast. You can read the entire Love and Darker Passions anthology and more on the Amazon Kindle app or devices, or you can get it directly from the Double Dragon website at www.double-dragon-ebooks.com. If you're enjoying What the Flame Whispers, please be sure to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Facebook at BlackFireTiger. And if you like playing with words, check out my game, Logophiles Delight, available on iPhone and iPad. This is Cheskino, and I'll catch you next time on What the Flame Whispers.